Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from The Lancet Neurology. I'm Heather Brown, one of the senior editors at the journal. For our August 2023 podcast, I'm very pleased to be joined by Professor Stephen Strittmatter from Yale School of Medicine in the USA. Professor Strittmatter is corresponding author of a research paper in the August 2023 issue of The Lancet Neurology that reports results from a first-in-human and randomised clinical trial of a soluble nogoreceptor decoy in patients with chronic cervical spinal cord injury. In your study, you used a soluble nogoreceptor FC decoy. Can you please explain what nogo is and why a decoy of Furitz receptor might be expected to be useful after spinal cord injury? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, nogo it was discovered as an inhibitor of axon growth and regeneration produced largely by oligodendrocytes. And then subsequent studies identified a receptor on axons, on neurons, for this inhibitor. It turned out that this receptor was actually also a binding site for two other inhibitors, termed MAG and OMGP. These are also produced by oligodendrocytes. Together, these three ligands interact with the receptor and limit regeneration, axon sprouting, and plasticity in the adult mammalian central nervous system. So the idea of the decoy is that it's a soluble fragment of the receptor which contains the binding sites for these three ligands. And by binding to the endogenous ligands, it prevents activation of the membrane-bound receptor and therefore disrupts this signaling pathway. So in, in some sense, as a double negative. By blocking these inhibitors, it allows sprouting, plasticity, regeneration. In spinal cord injury, of course, uh, many people um, have persistent neurologic deficits, and these are caused by the disconnection of neural circuits. So this decoy receptor hypothesis is that by allowing sprouting, regeneration, plasticity, these circuits can be restored, and this might restore neurologic function for these individuals. Great, thank you. And what have previous studies of this approach shown? Well, this is the first in human study with this decoy receptor, so there are no previous studies. However, there have been a number of uh, animal studies that have been done, both genetically and pharmacologically, with this particular um, protein. These studies in animals have shown improved behavior after various types of injury. This includes um, anatomical evidence of axon regeneration and plasticity, and that improved uh, neurologic functions such as walking. This has been true in a range of injuries, from simple cut injuries of the spinal cord to contusion, in acute, subacute, chronic, in mouse, rats, and in non-human primates. So a large body of uh, preclinical data. Also, I should say there's uh, been antibodies developed to some of these ligands for the receptor. So I said there were three ligands. So antibodies for no-go and mag have entered the clinic. There's only a sort of very early data about safety for both of those. So really a, a first in human study here. So my next question is going to be, can you tell us about the design of your study? Why was, it, why was there a first in human study and a separate randomized phase? Yeah, these two studies address different stages of development. We started out with a single ascending dose study this really had uh, the goals of determining what dose would produce um, levels in the human CSF. We had 
extrapolated, of course, from animals, but we wanted to see if that was true in humans. Um, and then, of course, to assess safety uh, and the pharmacokinetics of dosing. So with this single ascending dose um, phase completed, we went on to a multiple dose uh, study that would provide multiple doses over an extended period of time, because this is really the time course during which regeneration, sprouting, and plasticity might benefit um, individuals. And this included six doses spaced 21 days apart over a total of 104 days with follow-up at 169 days. So this second part, again, primarily tested safety, but secondarily, there were efficacy measures to look at whether uh, neurologic function improved. And who was eligible to be included in the study? Right. Our focus here was on traumatic spinal cord injury. So all individuals had suffered such an injury. Uh, it was also uh, focused on chronic um, injury. So more than one year after the injury, people were eligible for enrollment. And on average, they were five to 10 years after uh, their spinal cord injury. Um, also, uh, they were all cases that had suffered a cervical injury uh, and had impaired arm and hand use. In particular, um, this could include, uh, they had partial hand use. So this could be in one case explained by a complete injury at the level of the spinal cord affecting the hand use or an incomplete injury at a higher level. But they all had partial hand use at the time of injury and this had lasted for more than one year. And what were your main results? The uh, primary goal here was to test safety and determine the pharmacokinetics. So the drug was determined to be safe and well tolerated uh, across both part one and part two. The CSF levels that were obtained during the sickle dose study showed that high levels were obtained higher than uh, was achieved in the animal studies, which had showed efficacy. There were um, some adverse events. Uh, primarily, headache was the most common. In some cases, this headache was attributed to the lumbar puncture that was used to deliver the protein intrathecally. Um, in other cases, uh, by the investigators um, attributed to the drug treatment. Overall, the incidence of headaches that were related to uh, drug treatment uh, were considered um, equally frequent in the two groups. Uh, but overall, there was a higher incidence in the drug-treated individuals um, than in the placebo group in part two of the study. Those were the primary findings, the safety and the PK. But as I mentioned in part two, which was the randomized placebo-controlled um, blinded portion of the test, uh, we also looked at efficacy. On the key um, secondary outcome, the upper extremity motor score of the INSKI exam, which measures strength in the arms and the hands, there was not a difference with treatment when measured at 169 days. However, we did some uh, post hoc analyses that focused on subsets of individuals in the studies. Um, one of those focused on people with incomplete injury as determined by their pre-treatment uh, neurologic examination. 
and also people who had not received participated in part one of the study and therefore received drug before beginning part two. And in that subset of people who did had incomplete injuries and didn't have prior drugs, there was evidence for an increase in upper extremity motor strength and total motor strength of four and nine points respectively. We also saw some uh, data that related to target engagement from analysis of the cerebrospinal fluid during part one. We looked at proteomics of that cerebrospinal fluid and identified a number of proteins, some 40 or so, whose levels were suppressed during treatment. And most of these proteins were synaptic adhesion proteins. This supported the idea that we were engaging the target and that we were having effects that might relate to plasticity and sprouting in the brain. And what were the main limitations of your study? Well, I'd say the, the major limitations um, were that we enrolled a very broad group of subjects. So they could be complete to incomplete uh, in the AIS grading score a, B, C, D, so sort of all comers, as long as they had partial hand function and were more than one year after injury. As I mentioned in this post hoc analysis, it seemed that the incomplete um, injury subjects um, showed some evidence of benefit. So potentially a, a trial that was focused only on incomplete injuries, excluding complete, would show a benefit. Another um, limitation is that we did allow enrollment in both of certain subjects in both part one and part two. And so to the extent that the drug may have did show um, some evidence of improvement in part one, there may have been a ceiling effect so that those subjects could no longer uh, achieve full benefit in part two. So treatment my naive patients might be a better um, group of subjects to enroll in a future study. And then um, we ended up using a 21-day dosing schedule, and in part this related was based on the pharmacokinetics, but it was also tempered by the logistics of delivering CSF doses um, repeatedly to individuals. It may be that a slightly more frequent dosing schedule would provide more complete um, pharmacologic uh, coverage. I think, though, maybe of all the things, perhaps the key one to think about in future trials would be using training or therapy, physical therapy and training, as part of the intervention. We did not do that. Um, Whatever um, subjects were doing uh, before the trial was allowed to continue, but there was no specific physical therapy. And based on the mechanism of sprouting and plasticity, we would think that um, the therapy might synergize with training or therapy, that the drug intervention might synergize. Earlier treatment after injury might be more beneficial. We've seen that in animal studies that treating not right at the time of injury, but with less than a very long delay, like one year, uh, produces somewhat better outcomes. It's a, always a little bit of a um, balance because the earlier you treat after injury, 
the greater variability in outcomes there are. So therefore, a larger trial is required to measure anything. In this case, we chose to um, enroll truly chronic um, spinal cord injury uh, patients. But it might be that in the subacute, several months after injury, there would be a bigger effect of the intervention in the future. But then I guess there'd be more chance of some spontaneous recovery function. Right. Spontaneous recovery, which is variable, and therefore the placebo group in such a trial um, might have a large confidence interval and make it hard to detect whether it was just chance or whether a drug intervention made a difference, and therefore require more subjects to have a definitive trial. So you've talked there about lots of different options for future research. Are you able to tell us about what studies you're planning to do next, or is it they just possibilities at the moment? They're possibilities at the moment, and nothing is set up at this time. But I think the key um, aspects I mentioned would be, one, to include physical therapy in the design of the trial, to focus on subjects who had incomplete injuries and had not received prior drug. Those are probably the things that are most important to consider in a future trial. Great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to the Lancet Neurology today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Strittratter. And thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation with the Lancet Neurology. You can read the article online now at thelancet.com. You can subscribe to In Conversation with the Lancet Neurology wherever you usually get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>